0: Section twenty-eight of Chesterfield's letters to his son, readforlibrebooks.org into the public domain. Letter fifty-one, London, September twentieth, Old Style, seventeen forty-eight. Dear boy, I wait with impatience for your accurate history of the Chevalier Fortepi, which you promised me in your last, and which I take to be the forerunner of a larger work that you intend to give the public, containing a general account of all the religious and military orders of Europe. Seriously, you will do well to have a general notion of all these orders, ancient and modern, both as they are frequently the subjects of conversation, and as they are more or less interwoven with the histories of those times. Witness the Teutonic order, which, as soon as it gained strength, began its unjust depredations on Germany, and acquired such considerable possessions there, and the order of Malta also, which continues to this day its piracies upon the infidels. Besides, one can go into no company in Germany without running against M. le Chevalier, or M. le Commandeur de l'Ordre Teutonique. It is the same in all other parts of Europe with regard to the Order of Malta, where you can never go into company without meeting two or three Chevaliers or Commandeurs, who talk of their Prouve, their Langue, their Caravan, etc., of all of which things I am sure you would not willingly be ignorant. On the other hand, I do not mean that you should have a profound and minute knowledge of these matters, which are of a nature that a general knowledge of them is fully sufficient. I would not recommend you to read Abbe Vertot's History of the Order of Malta in four quarto volumes. That would be employing a great deal of good time very ill. But I would have you know the foundations, the objects, the insignia, and the short general history of them all. As for the ancient religious military orders, which were chiefly founded in the eleventh and twelfth centuries, such as Malta, the Teutonic, the Knights Templars, etc., the injustice and the wickedness of those establishments cannot, I am sure, have escaped your observation. Their pious object was to take away by force other people's property, and to massacre the proprietors themselves if they refused to give up that property, and adopt the opinions of these invaders— What right or pretense had these confederated Christians of Europe to the Holy Land? Let them produce their grant of it in the Bible. Will they say that the Saracens had possessed themselves of it by force, and that, consequently, they had the same right? Is it lawful, then, to steal goods because they were stolen before? Surely not. The truth is that the wickedness of many and the weakness of more in those ages of ignorance and superstition concurred to form those flatigious conspiracies against the lives and properties of unoffending people. The Pope sanctified the villainy, and annexed the pardon of sins to the perpetration of it. This gave rise to the Crusades, and carried such swarms of people from Europe to the conquest of the Holy Land. Peter the hermit, an active and ambitious priest, by his indefatigable pains, was the immediate author of the First Crusade kings, princes, all professions and characters united, from different motives, in this great undertaking, as every sentiment, except true religion and morality, invited to it. The ambitious hoped for kingdoms, the greedy and the necessitous for plunder, and some were enthusiasts enough to hope for salvation, by the destruction of a considerable number of their fellow-creatures who had done them no injury. I cannot omit, upon this occasion, telling you that the eastern emperors at Constantinople, who as Christians were obliged at least to seem to favor these expeditions, seeing the immense numbers of the Croisés and fearing that the western empire might have some mind to the eastern empire too, if it succeeded against the infidels, as la petit bien en manger, these eastern empires very honestly poisoned the waters where the Croiset were to pass, and so destroyed infinite numbers of them. The later orders of knighthood, such as the garter in England, the elephant in Denmark, the golden fleece in Burgundy, the Saint-Esprit, Saint-Michel, Saint-Louis, and Saint-Lazare in France, etc., are of a very different nature, and were either the invitations to, or the reward of, brave actions in fair war, and are now rather the decoration of the favour of the prince than the proofs of the merit of the subject. However, they are worth your inquiries to a certain degree and conversation will give you frequent opportunities for them. Wherever you are, I would advise you to inquire into the respective orders of that country, and to write down a short account of them. For example, while you are in Saxony, get an account of L'angle blanc, and of what other orders there may be, either Polish or Saxon. And when you shall be at Berlin, inform yourself of three orders, L'Aigle Noire, La generosité et la Vraie Merite, which are the only ones that I know of there. But whenever you meet with straggling ribbons and stars, as you will with a thousand in Germany, do not fail to inquire what they are, and to take a minute of them in your memorandum-book, for it is a sort of knowledge that costs little to acquire, and yet is of some use. Young people have frequently an incuriousness about them, arising either from laziness or a contempt of the object, which deprives them of several little such parts of knowledge, that they afterward wish they had acquired. If you will put conversation to profit, great knowledge may be gained by it. And is it not better, since it is full as easy, to turn it upon useful than upon useless subjects? People always talk best upon what they know most, and it is both pleasing them and improving oneself to put them upon that subject. With people of a particular profession, or of a distinguished eminency in any branch of learning, one is not at a loss. But with those, whether men or women, who properly constitute what is called the beau monde, one must not choose deep subjects, nor hope to get any knowledge above that of orders, ranks, families, and court anecdotes, which are therefore the proper, and not altogether useless, subjects of that kind of conversation. Women, especially, are to be talked to as below men and above children. If you talk to them too deep, you only confound them, and lose your own labor. If you talk to them too frivolously, they perceive and resent the contempt. The proper tone for them is what the French call the entre and is in truth the polite jargon of good company. Thus, if you are a good chemist, you may extract something out of everything. Apropos of the beau monde, I must again and again recommend the graces to you. There is no doing without them in that world, and to make a good figure in that world is a great step toward making one in the world of business, particularly that part of it for which you are destined." An ungraceful manner of speaking, awkward motions, and a disagreeable address are great clogs to the ablest man of business, as the opposite qualifications are of infinite advantage to him. I am told there is a very good dancing-master at Leipzig. I would have you dance a minuet very well, not so much for the sake of the minuet itself, though that, if danced at all, ought to be danced well, as that it will give you a habitual genteel carriage and manner of presenting yourself." Since I am upon little things, I must mention another, which, though little enough in itself, yet as it occurs at least once in every day, deserves some attention. I mean carving. Do you use yourself to carve adroitly and genteelly, without hacking half an hour across a bone, without bespattering the company with the sauce, and without overturning the glasses into your neighbor's pockets? These awkwardnesses are extremely disagreeable, and, if often repeated, bring ridicule they are very easily avoided by a little attention and use. How trifling soever these things may seem, or really be in themselves, they are no longer so when above half the world thinks them otherwise. And as I would have you, omnibus ornatum, rebus, I think nothing above or below my pointing out to you, or your excelling in. You have the means of doing it, and time before you make use of them. Take my word for it, I ask nothing now but what you will, twenty years hence, most heartily wish that you had done. Attention to all these things for the next two or three years will save you infinite trouble and endless regrets hereafter. May you, in the whole course of your life, have no reason for any one just regret. Adieu. Your Dresden china is arrived, and I have sent it to your mamma. End of section 28. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org.